Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Norwood. That's the whole theme to this podcast. You know, <laughs> I, I can endorse that. <laughs> you're, not, you're not pro-dying. No, no, I'm not pro-dying, man. I'm like, if I could figure out, you know, helping a little bit. So... Today's a special guest, my friend Norwood, that I've known my whole adult life. Two guys coming from different (laughs) universes, converging on Hollywood in 1983 or 84. Somewhere in there. (laughs) And we've been roommates. We've been stepfathers (laughs) together. We've we've had children together. We've had everything. And, And it's just such a great honor to have you here and talk about your life and and what we try to do here mostly it was about kids were dying all across the country from opioids yeah and i thought nobody was doing anything nobody was even talking about it and so then that this kind of rose up this kind of don't die movement but really it was the podcasts i had before and stuff i like talking about are life music art culture inspiration overcoming your childhood which you you and your brother are like top shelf (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean i used to say my friends my friends grew up in the in a really just disadvantaged situation made the best of it and ruled the universe you know what i'm saying yeah yeah because i mean you know Hey, you know, grew up in gang-related Los Angeles, and, you know, in your teenage years, that kind of stuff looks fun sometimes. <laughs> like, the guys in my neighborhood, they were... They were the heroes. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, it it just, it looked, it looked kind of fun, and all the ladies liked them. Right. You know, I remember, I was just kind of reminiscing, just like, you know, Getting the gumption to go talk to a girl, and she's like, "Oh, I like little green eyes." <laughs> green eyes. That was <laughs> guy in my neighborhood, like, you know. I like little green eyes, and you know, I'm like, "Dang, like I can't, I can't fuck it." And like, there's the- nothing I could do. Like I'm just a guy in a band. Green <laughs> eyes got an entire gang behind me. You know, although I know all of them, they. You know, not a damn, like I stand, a, not a chance against Lord. Yeah, good you know? kind of thing. So this is all, for those of you that know, Norwood is the founder, the person who's, who's been in Fishbone the whole entire time? You and Angelo only? Me and only? Angelo, just me and Angelo. Isn't that lucky for you? <laughs> <laughs> Wee! So Fishbone, the legendary the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame someday. I heard that, I saw that on the internet. Guys who invented a, a, and inspired a generation of music, multi-generational yeah, music. Yeah, I mean, I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, and I always say the story. So it was 1983, I think, and it was at the lingerie. And you guys are coming off like full-on crazy six people going in six different directions. Chris Dowd dancing with a piano, jumping all around. And it's just this overwhelming chaos, beauty, something you've never seen before. And then it just stops, and Angelo sang this ballad that sounded like a Bob Marley song. And me and Anthony were just like, what the fuck is this? That <laughs> <laughs> was rad. It was the most, for those of you at home, the fishbone phenomenon was the most 
frantic, the most entertaining, the most, like something you never saw before, and amazingly soulful, wonderful people. And, you know, and we all just, it was, I always say the same thing, because nowadays, it's like you're talking about ancient times and dinosaur <laughs> times. And right. I always say the two greatest live bands I ever saw were Fishbone and the Butthole Surfers. It was awe-inspiring. Yeah, the butthole surfers was something else. <laughs> oh yeah, that was, oh, yeah. That was, that was something you've never <laughs> seen before. <laughs> when you see Gibby shoot a, sh a shotgun <laughs> off the stage, yeah, they reminded me of yeah, the Manson yeah. family. Gibby, Gibby was a Manson-like figure. Uh, you know, everybody thinks it's blanks, right? But they had those bouncing balls, and he shot one of those balls and popped one of those balls. I was like, "Fuck!" He's right? shooting, he's shooting <laughs> rubber bullet, rubber bullets, yeah, something. <laughs> so, so that, and then you and I, for some reason, just clicked, and we moved in together, and yeah. that let. That, I think that on Fountain, yeah, Fountain Avenue. What a fucking. <laughs> We've talked about that. Seven years of multidimensional living. Yeah. I always, after you moved out, well, Keith <laughs> lived there, Mike lived there, everybody lived there, in and out of there. But once I finally like let Angelo live there, do you the think about the bird? <laughs> yeah. So, so I had these love birds, and I hung them. They were inside the house during the day, but I mean at night. But in the daytime, I would put them out on the balcony of that above the steps there, right? And I come walking up, and the birds are gone. And I go walking in, I go, Angel, what happened? He goes, oh, man, I couldn't look at those birds in a cage no more, man. I had to let them go free. Bob, you should have seen it. They just, they, they wanted to be free. <laughs> and I was like, Angelo, those birds grew up in a cage. They only know food that's in a little plastic thing hanging off the side. They're going to die. He goes, oh, no, man, you should have seen how they flew away. Oh, <laughs> They don't know how to forage. <laughs> they don't even know what to eat if it's not. If a worm was their best bet, they wouldn't know what a worm looked like. But that's that, that's that, that unique quality that Angelo Moore contains. Oh, that. my God. <laughs> so, telling He's that, consistent. He is. He's <laughs> still that same guy. <laughs> But for one thing that was different about, because what now gets lumped together is Thelonious Monster, Fishbone, Chili Peppers. The, that was like there yes. was some sort of era. Jane's Addiction's rarely included ever in there, and there was no other band. Yeah, it was they, just like that. People today, like, like as I'm touring in the last, in the last 15 years, people bring that up they bring they bring it up they they because they people saw it from all over the planet right like you know and they, they go like and what was, was it? it but here's the thing i tell people it was we were all friends we all lived together <laughs> yeah. it wasn't yeah it wasn't yeah we liked each other i mean liked our we liked bands, each other's bands we liked each other's bands but we were all connected in a way that you can't just pick three other bands yeah. and say oh who didn't even know each other you know what I mean? But but people, and people find it very strange that you and I live together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but people people do they include Jane's Addiction and the other band they include is the Untouchables. Right. Well, you they, were like, you, the Untouchables were around before all this though. Yeah. I used to see them at the On Club when I was like eighteen. No, I was in high school and I'd go to see them at yeah. the Roxy. Like, oh, at the Roxy. All the Fishbone, like they had a residency at the Roxy. So yeah. 
And you know, that, we don't go see those guys. But that era is lumped together. And what's ironic, crazy, unique, special that most people don't know is there's also a great, great drug addiction association with those <laughs> bands. But what, what they don't extra. know is the Fishbone guys aren't. <laughs> And I thought, because yeah. so when I've been thinking this week that you're going to be on here, I would think about what is it about coming from the neighborhood you came from and seeing what happened to like, I think it was Kendall's brother or people yeah. in your neighborhood that you guys just steered clear of drugs. Well, most of Because we need did. to, inst- well, one, <laughs> one did it. <laughs> one, yeah, one did it. A couple it. people went, dabbled and tickled. Well, let's be honest. Time. It's all in a documentary. Yeah. You can yeah. see the documentary. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, actually, yeah. Angelo and, and Chris, they they kind of... Alcohol. Yeah. No, they, they went... They, they, they never did that, heroin ever. Chris dabbled in that... Chris went that way. Way later way in later. the 90s. Yeah. But they were... Look, we naming names. <laughs> <laughs> but no, for the most part, Fishbone is not a drug band yes. like Thelonious Monster right, and the right. Chili Peppers are. Yeah, yeah. You guys dabbled in like psychedelics and stuff. I like right? psychedelics. Those are yeah, drugs. I'm it. talking about heroin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, psychedelics, man. What? That was happening. No, but why did you guys not even experiment with it? What was it that, that coming from where you came from, like you don't fuck with that? I didn't know any, like I didn't know anybody growing up that fucked with heroin. And so there it was a, but I knew uh, I knew the stories of addiction. I always thought like, man, I'll probably like that shit too much and won't be able to let it go. I don't want to know. That was my stance. Did I, I don't want to know. Yeah, and then but you there was cocaine dealing in your neighborhood when yeah, you were a kid. Cocaine and crack, crack. We came up and as like we watched, you know, the cocaine trade. I had a cousin who was a little older than me. That like I remember him like I was still in junior high school and he was like yeah my first one my best friends gave a par- given a party for his first million dollars selling cocaine wow yeah. right and he yeah, was yeah, he yeah, was yeah. not that much older than me well that was when the government was was dumping that <laughs> well, shit well, in, well, the, was, in was, the black it neighborhood was right before that this is like going right into the freebase era and then the crack era okay? yeah right. And like, so my cousin, his name was Kermit, he moved to St. Louis, ended up getting shot in the back and killed, uh, you know, moving crack to, to St. Louis. But so it was, you know, Kendall's, Kendall's neighborhood was the hot spot. I know. So we, you so know, you live. Let's be for LA people. You live north of the ten, and he lives south of the ten. Yes, exactly. Just north of the ten, <laughs> and it's like literally four hundred yeah, feet. <laughs> exactly. I would walk. We would walk over to Kendall's neighborhood, but it was it was. But so so. But we would we would sit in Kendall's living room, and right across the street from his house was was the crack house. Before that was the free base. When it was free base. We used to call it like dawn of the night of the dope dealers because we we immediately knew like nobody's checking these guys. If, if you if you drive through the neighborhood at night, they're going up to every single car like asking if you need something. And you know like we the police are turning a blind eye to this shit. It was right. obvious the crack when it turned to crack, it would be like Ferraris, limousines, fucking Mercedes Benz, all the like would be just uh, right across the street from Kendall's house. <laughs> you know, be like, and you can see like, oh shit, there's the barges. There's, you know, you can see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, 
I got the fucking anchor in here. And they're coming back every hour on the hour. So you grew up. So you grew up around it. Yeah. I think. I think it's the growing up around it. There's got to be something to it. I always say, Elijah grew up around it, and he's never gotten into it. Right. I'm pretty proud of that. Alcohol did bite him in the ass, like Angelo and right. Chris. But for the most part, growing up around drugs and drug culture and gangbanging and drug dealing yeah. makes you very wise about what drugs are. Yeah, yeah, but more so like, like at younger, like PCP was like a thing, and Sherm heads. Around right. your neighborhood like, when you were a kid? Yeah, through the hood. In fact, that was the It's thing. back, you know. It's back. Oh, oh I, I did. It's back. I did plenty of that. that it's was... Sherman. You know that Keith did uh, Angel Dust. And it says it says Angel Dust in a Black Flag song or a Circle Jerk song. It was big, Right Riding the stands. It's some smoking dust. <laughs> right. I was, hey, when the Beastie Boys was singing about it, I was like, what the fuck are they talking about? Yeah, was, no, Angel Dust is back in a big way in hip-hop. I don't know if you're aware. But I heard about it. There's my favorite hip-hop band post-Public Enemy NWA. I've heard that they dabble in in the dust. Yeah, yeah. I, I've heard about those things. And, you know, I don't but, even want to, I'll name the bars and, uh, and, and chili peppers, but I ain't naming that band. But, but like, like the, 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 they probably sing about it anyway, but the, but the, but the it, it's like... There's no secrets, man. One of, one of, my, one of my earliest like memories of shocking memories like i think of like i was eight and our downstairs neighbor liked to smoke dust and he had a full-on family he had like his oldest boys were twins a daughter and a younger son and this dude would smoke angel dust there was a tree out behind the apartment building that no grass grew around it. And these <laughs> berries would fall into the dirt. He would sit in the dirt and he would like act like he was in the bathtub taking a <laughs> bath might have went out there with one of his kids, rubber ducky, butt naked, his kids crying. On angel dust? On angel dust. And then I had a cousin that stayed with us, and she would smoke dust. with, with and But like anytime she drank Old English 800, she'd have a flashback and start crying. I never saw it. My mom talked yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. But she brought this guy over. Again, I, I was no older than nine, somewhere between eight and nine. This guy comes in our, in our apartment. And all of a sudden, he's standing on the table talking about jumping out the window because he's on angel dust. Man, I didn't want to do that shit. I'm scared of that. And the, like, Parliament Funkadelic shows, it always be somebody out of... Freaking out. On angel dust, like getting butt naked, running around, chasing people. Right. Like, like the Funk Festival so, in 79, there's this, we called them Funk Festival fullback. This dude, dude's like running around naked, Causing people to stampede and humping the ground. Where was shit. that? The Coliseum. Coliseum. Yeah. <laughs> like it was insanity, man. Like, I don't want to do that shit. All right. So, <laughs> so now fast forward to this opiate epidemic, and my theory is, and I have friends who are drug addicts who are in recovery who don't want their children to know what their lives were like, and I think yeah. that's what plays into this white yeah. suburban death spiral because these kids don't really know anything about drugs, and yeah. we have hundreds of them come through here every year at Allo. And they really don't even know that much about drugs, even though they're in a drug rehab, because they've been, oh, it's better for them not to know and not to see it and not 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think being aware of it and growing up in it and knowing its dangers and its and its you know positive things like all yeah. the girls like drug addicts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can attest to that. Yeah. Hey, it's true. Hey, but, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, but it's a tool for. You know? Yeah, it's a tool. So, so I really believe that parents need to start honestly talking to their kids about drugs because you, you got it's still the leading cause of death of kids between the ages of 18 and 34 yeah drug overdose yes yeah, and more than car accidents it's insane. more than guns yeah and so we started this podcast to talk about that but i figured when you're on we'll just we'll just give a narrative about drugs and then yeah, talk about but, music but, it's, but, it's, <laughs> but it is it is it's a thing it's like like my daughter's Eight, freshly 18, right? Oh, wow. Like, or she'll be 19 in November, right? And, you know, I introduced her to all my insane friends and just uh, told her, like, yeah, like, you know, this yeah. dude, like, he shot out. Like, he's he was amazing and, you know, he's useless now and watch out. We have a lot of friends. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. The beautiful person, but, but uh, you know, what could have been never happened because... Drugs. Yeah, or, you know, like, fuck, dude. Yeah, so I introduced my daughter to, I'm like, yeah. We don't need to name names of those people, yeah. but I know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of them are gone. Some of them OD'd. It's like, I got like, like I actually, you know, like I, I feel it when my friends die. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I keep, like at my desk in my living room is like pictures of everybody that I could get that passed away at a, after a certain point, you know, I just started. Certain I look, deaths, at, look at those people every day, man. Certain, like, certain no. of them affect you a lot more profoundly than others. Yeah. For some reason, right around the same time with Chester and Chris, Chester profoundly affected me. I loved that kid. It was, I cried. I rarely yeah. cry. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, just the loneliness that they must have felt and the fucked upness and drugs and and show business and it's all mushed together and some gross gumbo yeah. you know what i mean and i know i know the people that are on your desk yeah <laughs> it's fucked up now if but the good news is we've lived a long time <laughs> You in the, in the documentary, they th expect you to be in prison by the time you're 18. Yeah. In the documentary about me, they're just like, he's gonna die any day. Here you and me are yeah. fucking ruling. You know, and all those people that said that are dead. I'm like, and, and I'm I, like, I often think like, like, okay, like, like when we were kids, <laughs> people our age were bona fide old folks. They did old folk shit. They like. You know, like you, you didn't, you like you didn't, you didn't hang out and 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 do cool shit if you were over fifty. Like that was like <laughs> that motherfucker's no, over thirty, over yeah, exactly over forty for sure. One foot in the grave. Well, you've met my sisters. My sisters are only like twelve years older to me than me. They seem like their grandparents. Remember, my mom came over yeah, one night. Yeah. My mom, my mom and Norwood and I were doing math. <laughs> well you were drinking and smoking weed yeah. and she was doing meth my mom just a champion god rest her soul she, she died a couple years ago but right. but 
you know, I just felt like those are old people and I'm never going to be like that. And I always equated being old to being boring and crazy, you know, and to kind of middle class. But yet I had my mom, who's as crazy as they come, as a role model. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> hey, right now, I'm in the middle of a tour with George Clinton just turned 78. I saw that. And he's raising hell and, you know... Not doing the damn narcotics. Yeah, I know. I saw it. Incredible. Flea, 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 they went to a... Really? Is he, uh, is he sober He's now? sober. Really? Yeah. Semi. That's awesome, man. Yeah. He let go of the narcotics. <laughs> so, so, we can, so we can tell a story about that? No. Well, I can tell you a great George story. No, because story. I, I did monitors for them for a few shows here in Southern California. I was their monitor engineer for three shows. At the Vault 350, at the Malibu Place. And I was just like blowing my mind at that guy, man. How he was just like open with the dope, you know, with the drug use, man. Doing coke, and yeah, and writing just out. I the have. Open. I don't know open. about the three of us, but I have snorted cocaine off George Clinton's fingernail. <laughs> in, wait a minute, wait for it. In canters, right? <laughs> and you're just like. This dude is fucking knows how to live. That's he just a, goes in a bag right, right in canters with a million people around and gives you a bip off his fingernail. So he was at the Malibu Inn just walking around with a crack pipe, smoking crack, <laughs> right out. You know, not paranoid. I'd be hiding somewhere. I'd be fucking like, everybody's after me. And he's, doing and he's, and he's, he's, he's just put smoking it, it like and it. He, I know, but he's put it down and he had his 78th birthday and... What For some ride. reason, he was at a vegan restaurant with Flea. Is he vegan too? I don't. I don't know. Is he all healthy he's, eating? He's he he's he's healthier than he's ever been. That's I'm great, sure. man. I don't know if he's exactly vegan, but it was one of those you know those restaurants but, on La Brea. There. Yeah. So I would I would you know, but even even when he was smoking crack the most, like I'd be at it, at his hotel. He he'd be drinking prune juice and lifting weights and smoking crack. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great, dude. You're like, yeah, you gotta just put it through your system. Well, yeah, right. well here's here's Maybe that's key. Here's no, coming, here's coming from a lot of our listeners. Know Keith Richards texted me about six months ago that he stopped drinking, right? Oh, and when you think about it, George Clinton and Keith Richards are sober. Or relatively dude, sober. Hey, the Bob. world is coming to an end. I saw that. <laughs> hey, wait, hold on. I saw that text. He quit drinking whiskey. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big that's step. A, that's a big, that's a big He's step. He's still drinking wine, man. Yeah, that's a big yeah, step. Because that, that guy dro drops it down a couple minutes <laughs> yeah, after wine. Sure, man. Hey, you don't think but, you're getting rough. But uh, it's just, a, you know, it's amazing we're alive. And it's amazing yeah. that we have healthy children, and it's just crazy. It's crazy for yeah. what went on. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, you know, the excesses, I, I, you know, yeah, mine was weed, alcohol, hallucinogenics. But, uh, you know, like when I made up my mind that I was going to drink the alcoholics under the table on the Warp Tour, because I had... Who was, who was there? Fletcher? No, no, the the, the hip-hop group, the alcoholics. Oh, those uh -huh. guys. Because <laughs> <laughs> anytime I think of Warp Tour and alcoholic, I think of Fletcher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and anybody you're going to try to, if you see as a challenge to drink under the table. Right. It was like, those guys had the name. They were, the name of the group was the alcoholics. I'm like, I know. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I was... I was like, I drank with Fletcher. I didn't even think twice about drinking him under the table. It was like, they got the name. I was like, I got to drink him under the table. You know? You know who somebody I tried to drink <laughs> under the table one time? Louisa Zevier. Oh, my. She oh, yeah. could drink like nobody I've ever seen. And I was finally just, I was kind of leaning. Remember, <laughs> there was a club in Victoria that had a band house and a bunch of bunk beds behind it, like in the 80s. Right? There's a, you know, some of those clubs yeah, had band houses. Yeah, yeah. So I'm leaning against the like single mattress, like with my knees on the ground. I can't get up on the bed. And she's going, What's wrong? Have another, pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That's, and that's Canadian beer. Yeah. And I just, so, yeah, drinking competitions. Yeah, yeah. It's, hey, you know what? Again, it's, well, one, it's like we're, we are fortunate to have survived. I was lucky to get out. You know, like, like I was a guy that just, like. Most of the time you maintained. I can tell you. Yeah. You maintained. You drink a, whatever was a good amount for you. But when you went one too far, two too far, <laughs> three too far, like you did that one night at the Palace Nightclub on Vine Street. Do you remember that? Whatever. And you bit me? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yes, that's right. I'm trying to was save that, Norwood from yeah. yeah, the palace. I was yeah. trying to save Norwood from the bouncers. He was fighting six of them at one time, <laughs> and he, and I'm trying to get to his face to talk to him because they got him down on the ground. And he just bites me. Uh, <laughs> like, hey, listen, I was going to go into that about how tough these guys are. Oh. All these guys are. We've had some scraps over there when Nikki had that place yeah. over. Uh, uh, over oh yeah, the there were some scraps over there. Some... And these guys, I'm telling you, man, they yeah. just clean stuff up, man. Yeah. They grew up in the neighborhood yeah. and they know how to scrap. In fact, yeah. Norwood, you remember that out that Alligator Club? The Alligator yeah. Club was gnarly. That was one of the most gnarly moments. Where is that place? The Alligator Lounge. Alligator Lounge. I was there. In New York? No, no, no. In Santa Monica down right by there the caves. On Pico. Wait. Oh. Thelonious, I, think, I think I had a gun there one time. Thelonious Monster was playing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You decided to... Did you shoot up gonna, on yeah, stage. Yeah, you pulled out a I, syringe. I, I, I kind of remember shoot this. Up, yeah, I remember this. I was, I was fanboying over <laughs> Keith Morris at the front of the stage. <laughs> Like, I love you, Keith. <laughs> like, Circle Church, Keith, I love you. And I didn't see what was happening. You squirted heroin in fucking Pete Weiss's eye. <laughs> oh, like, as he was playing and oh, yeah, got in his eye. I remember that. It was fucking, and, and. Well, uh, there was a gun involved right shortly after this part. Uh, in the, the owner back. of the club. <laughs> the owner of the club, I yeah, remember. like, me and Keith, Keith couldn't hear me, so we went to the backstage and I was just telling Keith how much I loved him and the circle jerks. <laughs> and this guy came in and said, leave now. I'm like, and he grabbed me by the arm and I'm oh, like, oh no. I and you had had a few cocktails? I had a, quite a few. <laughs> I, I looked at his hand and, and I looked at him and he's like, get out now. I'm like, we're just back here. We just came off stage. He's like, get out now. And he had not looked. I'm like, if you don't get your hand off me. <laughs> and like, Mike, you were here? I was right there. <laughs> it went all the way from there, all the way into the kitchen, out in the front, into the kitchen. And then there was knives involved. And it was just like, that guy was, Norwood was just no, beating that I guy, beat up, guy and up and no, down the fucking. Like when I, no, it's because when I let off on him, 
I thought he was a bouncer. What was he? He was the owner oh, of the club. <laughs> I, I like. I thought he was a bouncer, so immediately, like the first punch, let go. Well, now, in, in your defense, and, Nora, would you know what he called you? Remember, right? Oh, I, I don't dear. remember that. Yeah. Oh dear, he, he let that that's, go. That's. That's I was already was seeing red. What's your what's your vision of this? This word has changed over our lifetime so much. We were but all, now you can't even say the letter of the right. name. So we were all just we were all just following Norwood around yeah. here while Norwood just kicked the but, shit out of him, going, Yeah, kick the fucking shit out of him. It got it got it got unusually good to me and like what at, in the end, I didn't know who the guy was. I thought he was a bouncer and the dude's wife called me the next day. I basically I kind of like tore his ear almost off oh, yeah, was, i lost his his broke his rolex and it like his wife called me the next day like he had to go to the hospital yeah and put him in the hospital she like so they made me pay for the rolex and they asked if fishbone would play the alligator lounge which i don't think oh. ever happened <laughs> like no i'm that's, not having see that's band. the kind of world i want to live in <laughs> There was no lawsuits. There was no, no criminal prosecution. No. Just listen, you buy us a new Rolex and you play here. That's the world. And we'll I, forget everything. I want to live in that world again. But yeah. let's talk about the N-word. Because it's gone around in yeah. your lifetime yeah. to go to being an everyday word that was a Richard Pryor album title yeah. that to now... It's owned in reverence by hip hop people. White people are the people who buy the hip hop music, but white people can't even say, bring themselves to think that there's a word called that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the craziest. That word is the most powerful word in the English language, the most misused, misunderstood. What's your take on it? I was all? I was just marveling at this with my daughter the other day because she has a friend that that she had to be like I can't hang with you. you. Keep using that word, right? And and so it's it there it is this thing where it's, think in terms of like there's this dominant culture that could do any they could like the fucking police can come and shoot you, right? And and nothing happens to the police. It's like you know. There's a myriad of of obstacles in in being black, right? And, and black people have the power to say you can't say that word. It's the only thing you have the power. To say. <laughs> <laughs> it's really like the only thing. Like, and that's so it was, that power is being wielded. You know what? Am I wrong? I mean, black people don't like using it that much more any, anymore. Why is it? All. Why is it used well, in hip hop songs so much? No, no, some people like are take quite a lot of joy in using it. You know, like it's it's weird when Drake uses it. He's like the whitest guy I right? know. <laughs> Yeah, is Drake white? Like he's his his skin tone is black, but he's kind of he's like a Nickelodeon star. It's so hard for me to take him right? seriously as a rapper, having watched that TV show. Hey, it's like what's funny is when you see a bona fide gangster going like Drake is hard. <laughs> that's, that's, that is bizarre, you know. Like, but it's it's because he's making so much money. I'm sure. Yeah, it's the admiration why. of the success yeah. and whatever. Yeah, yeah. But so so there's that, and then then the one thing that's changed in our culture. For one thing, I always like to make a note. 
just because it's not on television anymore doesn't mean that young black men aren't being killed every day in America by white cops. It's happening every day. But for some reason, it was in vogue on CNN (laughs) and MSNBC for like three years. It was very important. Trayvon Martin and the kid. So all of a sudden, don't think that it went away. It still happens every day in America. But something used to happen every day in America that doesn't happen anymore and, I, and I've noticed it very much. White kids who are belligerent, or in our case, me and Mike, on drugs or punk rock, don't get beaten by police anymore. The, the, you know what I mean? Yeah, when yeah. I was a kid, I was in Huntington Beach a, a week ago. Oh, and I, I used to get beat up every fucking week by cops. That's why I felt a kinship with black people. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're punk, beating on me too. Yeah, yeah. Punk, punk, rock, <laughs> punk rock was rife with stories. <laughs> Of police converging just with on a, punk rock venues. Just hitting you in the head with a baton. Yeah. And they don't do that anymore. Yeah. They, it's, a, they, it's, it's a weird kind of phenomenon that happened. Because everybody's well, trying to tell me, Huntington be- Beach not like that anymore. I said, I don't give a fuck if Huntington Beach isn't <laughs> like that anymore. I hate Huntington Beach. <laughs> See, the thing is, Bob, the thing is, is that when it started, it was street kids. It was street kids with no money, no important parents. No, nothing like that. As it got, as it progressed, more rich kids got into it. it yeah. you know, they, they didn't ask didn't how realize. much money you had. They just pull yeah, you they, over, you know say, what? step they out of the started. car. Of course, I would always say, what did I do? As soon as you, they say step out of the car, see, this yeah, is something yeah. you knew as an yeah. eight-year-old. If a cop asked you to step out of the car, you, you step, step out, out of the, the car. car. I was raised in white suburban America. Yeah. I was like, what do you? what is this about? And they just drag you by your hair out the window of the car. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, man. Yeah, yeah. So I noticed that there isn't that hostility between white youth and, and police anymore. So then there's that even... Our society's just gotten weirder. I think it was better and healthier when we were 22. I think there was more... Like, you can say liberalism has led to this great world that we live in. I don't think it has. I think it's as vicious as the conservative world myself. We had, for those four years, from 83 to 89, six years, we had what the world could be. People coming from black culture, from white culture, from working class families, from elite families, all trying to build a world, a better world. It, yeah, it actually into the 90s, it was, especially in Los Angeles. Los Angeles was a... And what I, happened? How actually, did it go away? Actually, and maybe maybe even New York in the late, late 70s, new wave, punk rock, hip right. hop, the art scene in New York. It was was a similar thing yeah. from you know I, I wasn't there but it looked it looks like it was about the same in L.A. Yeah, Freddie, Fat Five, Freddie, yeah. and Basquiat, and, yeah. and Debbie Harry, and yeah. that whole world. What? How? Do, now, because I'm asking you, I have my theory of what happened: money and capitalism. Absolutely, money like materialism, right? Like greed of of which you and I are both guilty of. You do live on the ocean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but my rent is cheap. I could, I'm like, I got, I like, I got rent control. I, every time I think of Norwood, he's like, yeah, he gets to live out there in rent control on the ocean. I'm fucking here in Claremont, fucking 108 degrees. I moved in in 1992, and my rent has not yet doubled. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> How, did you plan that or that just an accident? It just happened. I, <laughs> hey, I was. Hey, I didn't even care to move to the beach. It was not my. Like I wanted to. You move. You didn't move there on purpose. Hell no. Nah. I I wanted to move to fucking Lamert Park. I was like, I'm going back to the hood after living on Fountain. Right. Like there was there was these things that I'm gonna go back and get that respect <laughs> yeah, in that neighborhood. Yeah, there was things that would happen like on Fountain, like because you know. It well, was, the drugs were getting a lot worse. Well, no, it was just white people just didn't do the like. You know, like in the hood, you walk down the street and people nod at you. You get acknowledged. Oh, it is. In West Hollywood? You didn't, you didn't get a lot of nods in West Hollywood? Any nods. If, 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 if they stayed on the same side of the street like, treated me like I was like not a threat. Yeah, and, yeah. And then the other thing. So that, you got tired of that. The other thing that would happen is in traffic, right? Like. So, oh right! Like we would, we would, we would say like, okay, who's gonna go get the beer? And like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I go get the beer, go walk to Seven Eleven, get yeah, a twelve yeah. pack, and I'm walking to Seven Eleven, and and it's it's rush hour traffic, and the doors are locking as I'm yeah, click 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 as I'm walking down. That was my sister too. <laughs> My sister, uh, used, my sister used to do that when she'd that. come there. She would pull in the driveway. <laughs> my middle class white sister from Huntington Beach. She'd pull in the driveway and she would, she would call me in the apartment to say, "I'm here, Bobby." And she would have her doors locked. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I'm tired of that shit, man. And the police juggling my nuts. It was like there was this one time. Well, these, Sunset Boulevard. All these officers was was frisking me. It was actually a female cop. Oh I was just, God. I was just tired of it. Yeah, I was like, right. I can't, like, I can't take this shit. Did you know? feel like the only black man in West Hollywood? I did, <laughs> I did. I, like, like it was just too much, too much, too much police activity on my body, <laughs> frisking. So you were gonna go back, and that's why you moved to. I never knew what I thought you were. Yeah, because you don't really surf. I mean, you kind of do. Not, I do now. Not like those other guys. No. I do now. I do now. I didn't surf at all when I moved there. I didn't give a fuck about surfing. I was, I was just like, and and I only lived there because my car broke down in Venice. <laughs> you <laughs> got I, the greatest place on earth because your car broke my, down. Yeah, my car broke down, and I asked my dad to help me get it started. And he was like, "Well, you got to come and check out this apartment with me." He was thinking about. He moving was gonna there. get it. Oh, he nice, was thinking dude. about moving there. There were two vacancies. The one, the one I'm in is a one bedroom, and there was like this, this single with a picture, big gigantic picture window facing the beach. He was gonna take the one I'm in. I was gonna take the other one. And you switched. And and no, he 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 actually he raises cactus. So he was like, "I can't. There's no place for me to put my cactus. I can't take it." You could take the one bedroom if you wanted. Oh my God. And that's how I ended up there. Oh, that's awesome. And you've been there for 27 years. <laughs> I ain't going nowhere, bro. It's fucking beautiful. As long as rent control. Did you ever exists. go? Did you ever go over to David Barrowall? Do you know David Barrowall? Yeah, I went over to yeah. David for the palindrome. The palindrome, man. We used to hang oh, out yeah. there all the time. I think I saw you at a couple parties there. Yeah, I loved Working with David Bearwald and Hank and doing putting in work at the Palindrome. That yeah, was, that was a great studio, man. It was, it was on Lincoln, right? No, that was just one of the little I can't remember. Like it was, it was what is Winward and then all like, of them are gone. North all the Windward. studios are gone. It's so weird. I drive past. I drove past the Music Machine today. It's like an electronic store. Yeah. Like the greatest oh, bands. Oh, we had some great times the at the Music Machine, bands, oh, man. bro. How about Spinal Tap? 
Circle Jerks with Flea and Biscuits playing. Gun, yep. Gun Club, Los Lobos, no. the, pl- the Plimsolls, No X, Doubt, wait, Fishbone. X, X, play, X and Bo Diddley at the <laughs> fucking music, music machine. machine. <laughs> Bo that Diddley. X and Bo Diddley. Oh, oh yeah, Casey, Big Joe. And Turner. now it's an electronic store. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now it's an electronic store where they made pet sounds is now a, 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 a Mo- T-Mobile store. <laughs> Jesus, that's depressing. <laughs> so, it's what's happened to Los Angeles in our like, lifetime. Yeah, bro. It's, and you know, like actually, it's it's kind of it's happening in every city, right? Every city is like it's not the city that it was. Yeah. It's, it's, Have you been to Detroit lately? I heard. Yeah. It's, I heard you can buy a house in Detroit for like twenty grand. Elijah told me. Yeah. You can buy a house. A real house in Detroit for twenty thousand dollars. It was a few years ago. It was ten thousand. Like a and, like, and it's <laughs> coming up. And there's artists moving in. Why don't we all move there? It's cold. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't, it's far. Yeah, just go there in the spring and in the fall. <laughs> I don't want to be there in the summer too long either. <laughs> yeah, it is hot. I went to Milwaukee because we got a Don't Die group in Milwaukee, and there's a whole neighborhood. Designed by Frank Frank Lloyd Wright. It's called the Frank Lloyd Wright Neighborhood. So we go there, and I was, there was a show going on in that neighborhood. So I started looking at real estate things. You can buy a Frank Lloyd Wright house in Milwaukee for like two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. It's crazy what the rest of the country is. And I always wonder. I asked Anthony. I asked Flea. I asked Mike. Why do we live here? It's because this the is where everybody friends. we know lives. Yeah, yeah. It's- right. We know we know the lay of the land. You know you got your you got your circle of friends. You don't have to figure out like <laughs> like you know people 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 come from all over the planet to be here and they get here and they go like L.A. people are this and that and I'm like I don't know about you but I got a fucking amazing group of friends right like you know like. I'm we not, don't. We're not too welcoming in our circle. <laughs> when you think about the circle of friends I have, it's it's maybe grown maybe five more people, <laughs> five more people in twenty five years. <laughs> like I, we we're not the most letting in of people. It it took a lot of vetting to, to break it down, to the, you know. So and we didn't. We haven't talked about. You got drug into this idea that Flea and I had. We went down there to watch. Yes. Right? This yes. is two years. Were you there that first day? Two, yeah, you were there the first, the first day. day. First day. Norwood, founder of the Watts Conservatory of Music. So we go down there and we're just like, best of intentions, let's try to figure out how to bring music to this school. And you, you did it. And I was, you were down there and you played like, what, three weeks ago, a month ago? Yeah, yeah, a couple, yeah, last last week of uh, July. Right. Fishbone Chili Pepper. And so it's called the Silver Lake? Yeah, no, that's Watts Conservatory. Watts Conservatory of Music, yes. right. And and here's the crazy thing. This, this organization and the Silver Lake one and MAP were all created by a bunch of crazy <laughs> drug addict musicians from Hollywood nice. in the 80s. I mean, yeah. when you think about what MAP did for people, what yeah. Silver Lake Conservatory, and now what we're going to do in Watts, it's just like us, these fucking freaky yeah. guys. That are still freaky. Oh, like, yeah. Still, there ain't like, nobody more freaky than Angelo Moore on the planet. But, but it's like, like, I see you. You're not, you're not, you didn't become a different human being. <laughs> you just, 
Bob without the extra added fucking sauces and fucking <laughs> potions. Right. You know? <laughs> and Mike, it was so cool. Fishbone, chili peppers played. And I was just, I had, because I had Sydney, Elvis was in camp. And I was like walking around and I was just thinking, like, this is rad. This is, this is 35 years after we met. Yeah. We're all friends. We're all still here. And so I, I just think every generation of musicians, every generation of people, do what Norwood said. Vet your friends. Know that they're trustworthy. We'll bury bodies with you. We'll go to the ends yeah. of the earth for you. And then do great things with that group of people. Yeah. It's, it's, hey, you know what the wildest thing about, and I probably told you this while we were down there in Watts, is that like I'm born in San Diego. We moved to Los Angeles when I was two. I remember nothing of... Of course, San Diego. Yeah. But we moved to LA just blocks from that school. Oh, and really? Our first home was right behind Markham. Nickerson. You could right have, you could have gone Garden. to Markham? Is that, is that what yeah. it's called? Yeah, yeah. We, we lived right behind Nickerson Gardens, and then we moved across the Imperial Highway onto a street called Success. And uh, Success? Yeah, yeah. That's Success Avenue? Street called Success in Watts. <laughs> That's where, uh -huh. you know, time my first we went, memories are. The first time we went down, the thing that was shocking to me is the Watts Towers are locked up and you can't go see them. You can't go inside them. Yeah. I, I, that just got to change. Are they being repaired? Though? Now they're being repaired, but they just lock them up because people spray paint on them or whatever. And deface them? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and that's the kind of world we're living yeah. in. Yeah. But that's, that's you know, again, we're doing something to bring to bring right. something that'll, that will affect the human condition. And, and that's, yeah. that's where it begins. You know, if, 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 if you think nothing of yourself, if you don't, if you really don't think that much of your neighbor, you don't think anything of the surroundings. It's, it's, that's, what it, that's what it is. And it, that's a symptom of a neglected community. Right. So, well, multi, a hundred, 50 years of neglect. 50 years of neglect. You know one thing? I was driving out of there, and I was driving up onto the 10 there, and the Nickerson Gardens, when you drive on and on and yeah. on, I was driving to 105 to go to the airport, and I thought about this. Why did they choose to put it all in one place? Why wasn't why weren't housing projects spat, spread out across the city? Why was that design that you're going to put ten thousand <laughs> <Right. laughs> in, yes. in what? It was a brilliant plan if you want to <laughs> if you want to destroy yeah, yeah, just destroy people, but it's like it's, it's, like it it's, just makes no sense that there's no wisdom about this nowadays in New York City and now in downtown LA. When you want to redevelop one of these skyscrapers and put expensive lofts in it, you have to have low-income housing inside yeah. it built in. That's integrated community. Yes. But this isolated to take 10,000 homes and just put them in one square mile block of watts was crazy. Yeah. It was, it was almost like, you know, I start believing some conspiracy theories. Well, yeah, some of that maybe is because you imagine... Poverty wasn't brand new. No. And if there's a history of poverty that goes back to the beginnings of capitalism, I'm sure. So, 
or maybe before capitalism, there was poverty. Right. It's like when, when there were monarchs and whatever, right? And how people react when they're lumped together in impoverished situations is the same. I found that out the first time I went to Paisley in Scotland, right? <laughs> like, yeah. have you ever been to Paisley? No, what's that? Paisley is like, well, it's not just Paisley. It was the person I, was, I went with. Like, I, we had a Scottish tour manager, and his family lived in Paisley. We had a day off, and we went to go visit his family. The whole band took the tour bus, the whole really? band crew. And his, his family lived in a, what would be the projects in Los Angeles. It just looked just like the projects in fucking Chicago or New York, more right, actually. Right, right. And we went to the apartment, and the family was hilarious. They were beautiful people, but they were, it was like walking into like the Scottish version of Good Times. <laughs> Oh, it was like they were, they were giving each other shit, cracking jokes, like <laughs> relentless. And we, could only, we could only understand them because we had the Scottish tour manager who brought on like videotapes of Scottish television. <laughs> so we, like Scottish sitcoms and Scottish cartoons, like adult cartoons, right? <laughs> Ram, Ramsey Nesbeth was one, like this cartoon. He would go, tits out. so we could understand what they were saying they were talking like these deep scottish accents and he took us to this we left a a part we left his mom's apartment where his brother his brother was six foot five built like a fucking meat locker and his sister (laughs) and we uh, we went to this bar called the wee barrel pub which happened to be Rod Stewart's favorite pub in Paisley. Is he from Paisley? I don't know for sure, but there was all these elderly people that were on the dole. <laughs> these people, they would not allow us to buy a drink. They were the finest single malt scotch, the finest. And I go into my wallet to grab my pounds, and they'd be like, do not insult us by bringing out your money. Wow. Mr. Universe 1955 was there. I sat there next <laughs> to him and talked. He's a little guy, like, bent over. How, how many like, lives have you lived? <laughs> oh, that's rad, dude. It was rad. But the thing is, when we first pulled into town, there's this guy with a six-pack of McEwen Export tall cans. And I looked at him, 10 in the, 10 in the morning, walking down the street with a tall, tall can right. six-pack. I'm like, I resemble that guy. Right. I saw myself <laughs> in him, and I saw people in my neighborhood right. that I grew up in. I saw people every in every hood in L.A. So it's poverty it that po- is the unique, yes. consistent thing. That, and I saw this, yes. And I, th- I believe that's why the powers that be want us to, us to all start seeing things in terms of race instead of in terms of class yes and opportunity yeah that's what's going on in america right now but yes. where we started with this was the defacing of the towers was there defacing of their property or were they respectful of their property in that in those areas yeah there's graffiti man of yeah kids. it's graffiti there. right it's graffiti right they were doing you got a marker yeah. spot you know yeah because they, they had gangs as well like but they were like they talked about the the uh straight razor gangs watch out for the straight razor gangs. straight razors yeah wow yeah, they'll they'll, <laughs> cut, they'll, 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 they'll 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 creep up behind you and they'll cut your tendons. Oh God, in heaven! Cut the, ah. cut the tendons behind your 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 uh, behind your the back of your legs or at your. What do you ankles. think the future holds? Because I I think we're gonna go through a much darker belly of this, 
and then something wonderful is going to happen right towards the end of our lives. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 so you're talking I think it's going to get darker than now, you know, and crazier. But I think some enlightenment. You got to believe that something is on the other side of this ignorance and this division, this hatred and this stupidity. Well, yeah, I, 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 it's like this. It's like political correctness came in and replaced actual conversation about how people felt. Right. I am personally not so politically correct, but I'm not anti-politically correct like, you know, fuck what Trump is doing. Like, that's insanity. But political correctness, like like when gangster rap exploded and these rappers are like calling people fags in their raps and everybody got freaked out. I don't, I don't want to call nobody a fucking fag. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I don't feel anything about anybody's sexuality. I could give a fuck. Right, me too. But people lost their fucking minds over people using words. That words. words. Yeah, words. And, and I'm sitting there, like, I'm what, like, not long ago, I watched Ice T on, like, some talk show from way back then. Oh, and he, yeah. And, but, like, the only, the point that everybody missed is these people are talking about killing each other. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, 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 and the, and some of them did. <laughs> some of them did. <laughs> and some of them came from back from backgrounds where that was normal. Right. It was normal to take a gun and shoot at some your peer. And I can take it on the other side. Why is it so fascinating to white suburban kids who have never touched a gun, never been involved in any kind of violence like that? What is it that just happened with gangster rap? Because my nephew was obsessed with it. He's from a Huntington Beach, <laughs> like upper middle class family. And he's like, yeah. Uncle Bobby, do you think you could get Easy E's autograph for me? And I was like, probably. And I got it. For right, me. right. Because Easy used to always go to Renee's records on Melrose. And he was there, and I got his side. I'm like, right. nephew, to Brian. Easy does it. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, but, but the, the future, some, it's going to get dark. Political correctness, you can go a whole. No, no, topic but, about but but, but it, it is but what it's not just about it is that there was an absence of a real conversation right exactly and that's that's i think was well it's, a, it's here how about this and the political correctness is fueled by the feelings are paramount to all things not yes. actions not yes. not deed feelings yes. right so if i don't i had this big argument with these kids that i was working with on this project and i i just make fun of lbgbtq because there's so many letters in it like i <laughs> right. and i don't think the b needs to be in there right, like right, anybody right. that's bisexual right, like right. i don't know why you need that most people i know are bisexual <laughs> so i don't know why you need you shouldn't be you shouldn't right, be right. left in there you're not getting cast you know cast right. aside by anybody right you're winning and winning right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I make fun of the letters and I just say, I come from a time where it was gay and lesbian. I don't know. That pretty much covered the people that were disenfranchised because my transgender friends, which you and I have friends yeah. that we grew up with that are transgender, Jane, this one guy, gal, friend of ours, they just identified with gay and lesbian. Well, we didn't need a Q and a T yeah. and a B and a B. <laughs> so these kids say, well, you're, you're just being disrespectful. I said, listen, lady, I fucking threw red paint on Ronald Reagan's limousine at the Century City Hotel 
because he was killing our brothers by de denying them access to antiviral medications. Don't you tell me what initials I need to say to describe gay and lesbian and transgender yeah. people. And they just don't hear it. They don't hear converse, right. a logical conversation like that. Then I get labeled, I'm just a grumpy old man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because I think it's important. Well, look, the, the, another one of those things that like, like again, like there, there's some part of it, like the kids are trying to work it out for themselves because when Donald Trump was running, nobody thought it was possible. Well, I thought it was very possible. I prayed it wasn't, but I didn't think Ronald Reagan was possible either. So <laughs> I, I, can, I can be very wrong. But my daughter, who was who was at the time going to Santa Monica High School, she one day she came home because some white dude was like nigger, 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 nigger. And she was, you know, distraught. She did not want me to to go to the school and confront her counselor yeah. either. She was like, "I'll deal with it." But in the the conversation that we had was like when she was when she said when she was in the earliest years of school, like into like middle school even. Well, actually, in 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 like kindergarten, first grade. She was like, kids used to say all kinds of shit, and they were just repeating what their parents said. Right. You could call each call somebody a fag and whatever. Yeah, yeah. She's like, but later on, they amongst themselves figured out that that wasn't cool. They did where they weren't saying the N word. They weren't saying the F word. They weren't fat shaming, and they were self correcting. And now I get to high school, and it all went out the door. Lit up. Eric beat the Trump came on the scene and and all these kids just let it loose and yeah they felt empowered they felt yeah. empowered and and so that was disheartening because I'm like I'm gonna but be, it was there anyways my yeah, my theory is anyway. it was there anyways and it was being suppressed yeah and now it's been let out and somehow it's so ugly right it's just ugly. Yeah. So once ugliness is exposed, ignorance is exposed, you've got to believe in the in the in the in knowledge is power yeah. and love reigns supreme, right? Right. But we're in that transitional period. Right, right. right now. Like yes. We're in the part where where hatred and division and racism is winning, it seems like. Right. Shaming shaming the darkness into the shadows didn't work. It doesn't work. It did not work. And like, I'm telling you, that kid who went to kill Mexicans in El Paso, Texas, his parents are responsible partially for this. And sooner or later, we have to start holding the parents of these white kids who do this accountable. No longer is, oh, we had no idea, acceptable. Your child was had no friends. He was socially ostracized, like the Sandy Hook yeah, uh, the, the yeah. Sandy Hook shooter whose mother allowed him to play Call of Duty 14 hours a day and bought him a gun for his birthday. That Ooh. woman, if she, but she was the first one he killed, by the way. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Justice has but, been served. But yeah, but I, if she wasn't, I would want her held accountable for the behavior of their adult children. And something's going to come of this. Enough yeah. of this political correctness about the parents who knew nothing about it. Yeah. Fuck you. It's your fucking kid did this. Fuck you. I really believe that. If it was yeah. my kid, I would want people to say, you know what, Bob, you fucked up. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, hey. But the problem is, is their parents are, are you know, secretly, they're inwardly proud of this whole thing. You know what I no, mean? I they that, been, no, no, they no, been, no, no, I don't believe that. No, no, no. That not, they killed a bunch of Mexicans? He's not That they killed a bunch of Mexicans? I'm not saying that they're proud of that fact. I'm saying that they, they have the kids back because they relate. They're the ones that instilled it. Yeah, this is what their the kid is the kid the kid is is emulating something and the guy that's in the family, so, right? Yes. But but they want to blame the internet. I don't yeah. blame the internet for anything that my kids do. I believe yeah. it's my responsibility to administer and oversee their exposure to things on the internet, right? Well, not that's that you you know what you're absolutely right. I guess like having a having a child. Is maybe is like maybe you should have a license to have a child, <laughs> <laughs> like having a car. Or oh, a we would we wouldn't like, have gotten them the no, first time around. No, no, we, no, we, we wouldn't have passed the test. And, no. Later on, we would have. <laughs> Later on, yes, but but it's but but it it is like most people have no idea what they're getting into when they become parents, right? Like that's. You know, it's a lot of mistakes, and then people like volunteering for it. Like I know, I have kids. I have some clients, <laughs> some client, female clients that have a kid, and they'll come to me later on and go, "It's just there's no time for me anymore." I go, <laughs> "Pretty much, pretty much for about 15 more years, yeah. pretty much." But I said, "But it's really good. Like around, I don't know, it's different for every kid, but about 12, 13, 14, they want nothing to do with it. So you only got like." Eight years, nine years later. It is crazy. Like, so, like, guys like us have kids. And then he actually, has three, I have three, right. you have three. Right, exactly. There's no, nine, I have two, two. I have two. There's, there's eight kids between the three of us. The least likely to yeah. succeed crowd right here. Yeah, but we, we, we yeah, exactly. And I have a different view of the youth. We live in Long Beach, right? And her group of friends are, they're African American. They're Hispanic and they're Asian and they all hang out together and they don't even think about this whole separation. It's the same as ours. They're living in your very attentive father who kind of oversees and you live in a very kind of cool, progressive neighborhood uh, that still is open minded. I would say cool, progressive neighborhoods in Los Angeles are less open minded than the Long Beach neighborhoods. I really believe Long Beach is a unique town to grow up in. Affluence? No, no, I think it's. I think it's. It's like it's. It's hard to say, but let me just say a funny thing about African American. So there's a basketball player named Ben Simmons, right? Do you know him? I don't. He got stopped at a hotel. They were saying they wondered whether he had ID or not. It was racism out right, and out, right, right. right? And so, so the announcer here is saying, and he's African American, and I, and and the other guy said. No, he's from Australia. He's African Australian. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's true. That's fucking good. He's African Australian. Right. He was African Australian, was stopped at a. At a <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there is, like, you're, you could be African Canadian. He's Do they say African Canadian? No, they don't. <laughs> do they say African Japanese? No. Is it what only African American? Look, the first time we went to France, there were people, they were like, what is it with this African-American? If you're born in France, you're French. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like you know, it's, it's... That's right. You know, like... There you go. Why most, the fucking separation? Most of the planet is like, if you're of the soil, that's... <laughs> you're you're just, American.
back. Like, oh my God, what a world we're living in. It doesn't make any sense. That is a revelation for me. I didn't even fucking think of that. They don't say African-Australian. They don't. That's insane, man. But they, they, like, Aboriginal. Aboriginals are are based from Africa. Right. Now, do you think it's it's because we're the melting pot and everybody... No, I think it's because we're the most racist country on earth. No, I mean, it might be because, you know, we, we, they... You know, all no, the yeah, they said Italian American, Irish American, yes, so then, exactly. but could. there's a specific difference about African Americans. Most yeah. didn't ask to migrate here. Yeah, and 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 honestly, honestly, if if I grew up thinking that if you if you were not put in the second class citizen box, like it's convenient for that's what it's convenient for. Right, so so you you don't have expect this much. Title. Don't expect much from me. <laughs> yeah, is that the box? Yeah, you, that's the box you get put in. Is is like, no, like you're African American, so you check that box, and then your insurance, your car insurance, isn't the same as the white guy. Or, yeah, or that's right? true, man. Right. Well, let's let's leave it that with my last <laughs> question. My last question of the night is: I'm still obsessed with Rush. And right. my wife, Chrissy, who you've met a couple of times, she can't stand Rush. And she doesn't get Rush. And she asked me, what is the fucking thing with Rush? And I said, you got to understand, that's one of the reasons why I bonded with the Fishbone guys, because they love Rush. Now, you didn't like Rush the no, way I'm, Kendall did. No, no. Kendall, Kendall was a yeah. Rush fanatic. Kendall was a fanatic. Yeah. What people don't understand is Rush is another link. So what was the Chili Peppers' first name of their band? Anthem. Yes, anthem. <laughs> a rush song. Yeah, <laughs> rush. So when you like meet rush. when you meet people who can't understand the rush thing, what do you? How do you explain it to them? Rush, our our obsession with rush. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, well, you know what? Because they had the the best musicians in rock at that time. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Neil Peart was. Neil Peart. Yeah, no, no. And Getty Lee. Getty Lee was. Did you go to his book signing the other couple months ago? No, no. Lee went and got a book signed right? to him. I, I must have been on tour. Shit. He's at Book Soup. Went. He's got a book. Yeah. Getty Lee. Okay. Damn it. But so, but so it is it is hard. People that just don't get Rush, they don't understand it. I, I actually like like because I was introduced. Uh, I, I might be one of them. Mike doesn't. Mike doesn't like Rush. I don't know. I might be one of them. <laughs> see see like how many times have you had to defend your love of Rush? It's many times. Many times people don't get it. But 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 like it's like this. Like, like I love that you love them though. Yeah yeah. I love that. Fact. It's, it's like. In, at an early age, like here's the thing: when we met, I was the first white person he knew that knew everything about Funkadelic, and he was the first black person I ever knew that ever heard of Rush. Right. That's what bonded us. <laughs> it, it was it was so so. I had a I, me and Fish went to go visit the cut the same cousin. They they gave me my first bass amp and the rock record collection. When he gave me that record, he took, like, I got a weight set for Christmas at eight years right. old. And he came on Christmas Day, looked at the weight set, was like, you ain't lifting them weights. I'm going to make a deal with you. And it, it probably kept me out of gangs. I probably, you know, I probably would have looked like a good soldier, you right. know, and would have got tapped. But he took the, he, he took the weight set, he took the weight set, and he gave me the, the bass amp and, and a record collection. And it changed my life, right? 
my cousin Zeppelin Rush. What was my in there? But it was it was it was a few Jimi Hendrix records. There you go. It was Jefferson Airplane. There was no Rush at that time. That at I don't think. Uh, uh, seventy four. Seventy three is their first album. Wow. Yeah, he did, he wasn't in the rush. He probably would have stayed, kept listening to rock if he would have found Rush. But it was it was Jefferson Airplane. There was Chicago Transit Authority. I love that record. It was it twenty five to sixty four. Wow! Sly, Sly Stone Stand, Grand Damn. Central Station. You know, but it was it was a it was a pretty hefty record collection. And anyway, that same cousin. A few years later, we went to visit him in the summer. He lived in Turlock, California. He moved to Turlock. I know where Turlock. that is, up by, by, by Reno. Yeah, we went to go stay with him in Turlock, and he was now deep into jazz. Oh, and so nice. we spent a summer listening to jazz, getting into jazz fusion. Billy Cobham. But yeah, Return to Forever, yeah. John Luke Ponty, fucking, Gosh. like, all, like, and so... So by the time I got to, and 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 all kinds of jazz, but he was really like pointed us at fusion. So by the time we got to to the, I got to the ninth grade, and this kid was like, "You should check out Rush." I was like, "You should check out Funkadelic," and I checked out Rush. I was like, "Whoa!" I was like, all this fusion shit was in my head. But you know that it, that was that was how my listening was. But wired. For, also, my we whole, talk about this a lot on this podcast. Is we talk about a lot of music, and we talk about how our kids influence our taste in music and introduce us to new artists. Bob, Billie Eilish, yeah. uh, me, my daughters introduced me to like Folk the Garden, singers. Big Mike, uh, all these you know Mike Kroll, Declan McKenna, the, yeah, the McKenna guy. And uh, has your what daughter, are your kids? What are your kids? What are your kids you turning you on to? My, my daughter hasn't turned me on to a whole lot. Like, the last thing that she really pointed me toward was, like, Cage the Elephant, which I like. I like them. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, Lord. Oh, she's good. The girl, Lord. She was oh, good. Oh, yeah. She yeah. was good. I don't know. It's hard to be... How about the fact that what's happening to these kids... They're like internationally famous at 16 years old. Like I would have blown my head off. No, but we we grew up with a little bit of that. Like Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder was like a child. He right. Was like you know, I was listening Michael to Stevie. Jackson, Stevie Wonder. Fucking who? How old was Leaf Garrett? You know what? You know what? You know how old what? Was Leaf Garrett? Oh yeah, like 14, yeah, exactly. 15. You know what's funny? My daughter Sydney's gonna be three tomorrow. You know what she calls Stevie Wonder? Daddy music. She doesn't like. Stevie. She doesn't like Stevie. She <laughs> likes Michael Jackson. Wow. Put Michael on, because I always play Superstition. I love that right. Jeff Beck riff. Yeah, yeah. And so every morning at our house, and this is how we'll leave it. We start the day blasting Funky Kingston by Toots and the Maytals, ah, and we dance. Yes. That is the yes. greatest dance song ever in history. Yes. So until next time, people, don't die. <laughs> and we won't. Just stay alive, see what happens.